You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs, and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we'll be looking at one of the most talked about topics in the Ethereum community right now, which is EIP-1559, where, of course, EIP stands for Ethereum Improvement Proposal. As we have seen over the past year, the Ethereum network has seen a sharp rise in its number of users. The activity on all the DeFi applications has really shot up, because of which the gas fees being spent for the transactions to go through has also increased quite heavily. Now, even though the gas fees is expected to remain high as the Ethereum network further grows, one of the key problems for the users of the network that remains unsolved is the lack of predictability of gas prices for the transactions to go through. So, even though EIP-1559 as an improvement proposal does not seek to lower the gas fees directly per se, it seeks to make the gas fees more predictable so as to provide a fairer and a more user-friendly experience in the network. How it does this is by replacing Ethereum's existing model of transaction fees. So the transaction fees or the gas fees currently works on an auction model. Anytime people want to send a transaction through the Ethereum network, they place a price on the gas fee. Whoever places a higher price on the gas fee, they get to place their transaction onto the blockchain. Consequence of this is that most of the time people end up underpaying or overpaying and uh, there is no set way to get the fees exactly right. The fees is generally estimated and set by the wallet that you're using to make the transaction in this case. So the EIP-1559 proposal is seeking to replace this existing model with a new model where the gas fees are much more predictable. Of course, this change has many big implications. It removes a big chunk of revenue from the miners. It brings a deflationary component to the economics of the network. And of course, it is likely to make transacting on the Ethereum network a better experience for the end users. So with that, Nikhil, uh, let's take a deep dive into what EIP-1559 is, the changes it is looking to implement, and what it will mean for the future of Ethereum. Thanks, KK. So as you very succinctly pointed out, EIP-1559 is this proposal that has been uh, in the works for some time now. It was raised by Vitalik a couple of years back, which seeks to try and address the lack of predictability in the gas fees for a transaction. And the reason why this is uh, important is that as more and more people come and start using the uh, Ethereum network for you know a wide variety of applications, uh, it has become increasingly harder and harder for people to understand and to calculate an appropriate fee for their transaction. And one of the reasons for this is essentially because the gas fees for uh, Ethereum transactions are calculated using what is known as a first price auction. And uh, in a very basic sense, what actually happens essentially is that in for every transaction, uh, you set a certain amount of fees that you're willing to pay for the transaction to execute. And uh, the miners basically, uh, when they include your transaction in the block, 
they basically get this fee and uh, you're obviously competing with everybody else in the network to get their transactions in the block so the how the how the miner basically uh, selects which transactions get into the into the block is by uh, sorting the transactions uh, by the amount of gas fees that they have right so that that means that obviously the ones with the highest gas fees get uh, added first now the reason why this is not a very good user experience is that uh, depending on network congestion or network uh, the number of transactions you might end up having to pay more than what you had originally anticipated and once uh, and since you don't have that predictability you you might have a transaction that kind of ends up being stuck because the fee that you provided over there was not enough right and 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 the network congestion is such that uh, the trans- the mining fees is higher than what you put in and therefore your transaction never gets picked up uh the flip side of it obviously is that in order to make sure that their transactions are put users heavily overpay right so they pay a huge amount of money and uh essentially that kind of brings them to the front of the line but it's a bad user experience because it's no longer a good reflection of what the transaction value is and by doing that they're es- essentially pulling up the fees for everybody else as well so you kind of like results in this unhealthy spiral of fees right so the this is basically the problem and uh, the way uh, eip 1559 seeks to solve this is by having all the transactions pay the same base fee rate right so most of the time so the users can have to decide whether they have to pay the fee or not but they don't need to really make a big decision on uh, or make a prediction about or make some kind of calculation on how much to pay and uh, that predictability is what kind of leads to the better user experience and hopefully to a lower fees due to the better fee estimation right so eip 51559 has this structure where they have this concept of a base fee a, a gas premium or an inclusion fee or sometimes called a tip and then there is a third value called the fee cap right so let's let's dig into a little bit uh, what these are so the base fee essentially is a minimum fee that is commanded by the protocol based on the size of the block usually before they were not kind of uh, minimum fees is not usually very enforceable because the protocol cannot prevent external price discovery for transaction inclusion right so the way this they might before you couldn't say that okay it had to be this minimum because you might have a external mechanism that kind of you pay the miners or bribe the miners to lower the base fee but now since this is part of the protocol and the the way it works is essentially this base fee is burnt and it cannot be refunded right it doesn't go to anybody so by burning the base fee what we are saying is that okay there can't be any other fee that can be given to the miners for profit right so you could still theoretically give miners some amount of money or bribe them to get your transaction and but they still have to pay that base fee right so it's not like they can uh, get a bribe and include your transaction for no fees right so there's no the profit margin for the miner is basically only what is excluded so uh, at the most 
they will make money some based on the tip right uh, so you might might be able to bribe them on the tip side the uh, uh, other thing uh, about this is that this gas premium right in the normal case so it's it's designed such that if there is no congestion in the network right uh, the gas premium basically is designed to be a tip that you give to the miners uh, to compensate them for the uncle risk so what is an uncle risk an uncle risk is basically in ethereum the chance that a miner takes that they do not solve the puzzle uh, 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 in time and uh, the block that they generate becomes an uncle block rather than the main block right so in that case their uh, uh, block reward basically becomes less they get a small amount of money so this this tip is basically to compensate them uh, against that risk usually it is a, a small amount uh, and then finally, there is this third value that you put in, which is the fee cap. The fee cap uh, essentially denotes the maximum amount that you are willing to pay. Now, the reason why you want to have a separate value for the fee cap from base fee plus tip is that the base fee itself can change, right? So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about how that changes a little bit in the future, but know that uh, the base fee basically adjusts according to the block size uh, and there is a possibility that uh, the uh, base fee that you entered uh, may not be uh, valid for the next block in which case you can set a fee cap so it can be adjusted up uh, and you can still get into that block so there is a way for your transaction to still be added even if uh, you did your calculation of what the base fee was was incorrect right now uh, the cool thing about it is though that uh, the difference between the fee cap and the sum of the base fee and the tip is refunded to you right so it means that okay if you calculated everything correctly and set your fee cap you will end up paying what you calculated and the rest of it is refunded back to you Right. Right. So, so this is where have, the yeah miners the used overpay to make... exactly exactly. So the uh, where you had the problem of overpaying for a transaction or overpaying the miners, that basically now gets eliminated because you don't have that risk anymore. You can basically set this to be uh, adjusted to be make it optimal for you. So uh, it looks like I mean this is a net positive for the Ethereum ecosystem from the user's point of view because the, the, the whole guessing game of predicting the right uh, transaction fee is, is taken off. But just to play a little bit of a devil's advocate, can this be looked at from, from the miners' perspective, can this be looked at uh, as a new model where the, the free market sort of doesn't exist anymore? So earlier, a sender you know, who initiated a transaction had an option to wait a longer period of time for their transaction to clear. Uh, and they didn't have a problem with that. You know, they, they would pay something lesser and, and just wait uh, through it, right? Like they're, they're not in a hurry to have the transaction go through. Do you think that sort of gets taken away with this this new model? No, you can still continue to wait if you want uh, and hope that, okay, things come down. What this kind of eliminates is the absolute need to do that. So consider the situation where you are a user, right? You got a transaction. You can look at the network, you can try to look at the history of the network, and you can make some guesses, right? 
But at the end of the day, you do not still have a clear idea of what is the correct price to pay because it's an auction, right? And uh, that auction basically depends on factors that you may not know about, right? So there may be a, I don't know, a new token that has been created or a new project that has come online in some part of the world that you are not aware of. And uh, suddenly what 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 you saw for the past five weeks or the past month or the past six months in terms of gas prices is no longer valid because that project took off and now everything is 10x the transaction value because of the congestion in the network because of how many people are coming in and you don't you you cannot make a prediction of okay fine i'm going to wait now and uh because you already sent out the transaction right you made the transaction you you sent it out now you could have said, okay, fine, I should have waited. But if you had no knowledge of that particular event, how long do you keep waiting, right? Uh, so what gets eliminated from this is, the, is that lack of predictability. And uh, the fact that, okay, you can say now that, okay, based on the current network congestion, the base fee is already calculated for you. So you don't even have to think about it. You only look at the tip and you basically say, okay, fine, uh, it looks like the block size, based on the block size, it's not overflowing. The block size is uh, set at, uh, it's, it's, it's still within the normal block size limit. Therefore, the base fee is going to be X and uh, uh, the tip is going to be Y. I'm going to put X plus Y. But I can also say, okay, fine, I'm going to add a buffer of maybe uh, 2X, right? And set my fee cap so that it goes up to 2X. So in case there is this, so going back to the scenario where uh, a new project has come up and there is this uh, new token that is coming up and everybody is uh, trying to add their transactions because of that, the base fee in the next block can only go up to 12.5%, right? So in, in that particular case, your transaction will still be included and there is no kind of advantage of waiting for you or there's no need for you to wait, right? If you waited beyond also, you know that, okay, for the next block probably will be 12.5% further higher from there and further higher from there and it'll keep going parabolically up, right? So the idea essentially is to kind of make this predictable over the next few blocks. And remember, when you're, when you're talking about blocks uh, in Ethereum, these are mined every 15 seconds. This is not like Bitcoin. So the 12.5% rise in the base fee will be parabolic. Okay, so it is possible that it's going to be worse for you if you wait longer, right, in human time, because obviously the it's going to go up really fast. Uh, and the idea here also is that it should, it would go up so fast, so high, so quickly that, uh, you know, users are immediately then kind of incentivized. The network congestion becomes such that it's, it's raising this, this so high, so fast that people will stop adding new transactions. Because it becomes simply too expensive, the incentive is to kind of wait for a little while and allow the blocks to come down. So from the miner perspective also, since they are not actually going to get this money, there is no incentive or a, a advantage for them to keep pushing more and more transactions into blocks because the base fee just keeps going up and it's just burning everything, right? So what they will be incentivized to do is they will add a few huge blocks to handle the sudden surge. And then after that, they'll probably do come down and add, uh, make the blocks much smaller. So they will reduce it below the size of the 
X, the the normal 12.5 million, uh, they'll reduce it to uh, create blocks which are smaller than that, just so that they can bring down the base fee, right? And once they bring down the base fee, obviously that means that the cost of things go down as well, right? So the cost of transactions go down. And uh, so the the idea essentially is that you don't, it's not a continuously going high, it goes up and then you'll get, get a few huge blocks and then immediately goes down and you'll get a few small, several smaller blocks. So the idea, it's, it's almost like you're borrowing uh, block size from the blocks that are coming up further in the future and adding it here with the expectation that that kind of handles the network congestion now and kind of brings it down at a later point. So right. so that's the kind of modeling that they have done around uh, the base fee and the elastic block size. Now, uh, obviously, I've talked about the standard size and the standard size is at least when uh, earlier it was 10 million uh, uh, GUI. Uh, now I think it is 12.5. The idea essentially is that it's going to be something that the miners basically vote on. And uh, that's the standard box size. And the uh, the elastic thing is that they can actually go over that up to 2x, right? Right. So, so 25 block, million. Yeah, so block can go up to 25 million GUI. And then basically it kind of stops there. So one of the problems with elastic block sizes, right, is that uh, obviously kind of leads to centralization, right? That's the classic thing, right? That's why... There was this big fork when Bitcoin tried to increase their block size. And the reason uh, that they feel uh, around that EIP-1559 will not lead to that is A, that it is capped to 2x. And B, because of this particular mechanism of larger and larger amounts of tokens being burnt and fees being burnt, uh, there is no incentive to kind of push this block size to a huge amount or to something that is very very high because uh, you just end up burning a lot more right so the the cap of 2x that you mentioned do you think that's something that can maybe change in the future so the yeah so as i understand it basically it's something that's voted on by the user uh, by the miners so they can set the standard cap they can set it to x and then becomes 2x so uh, so the block size is always 2x the maximum block size is always 2x of the standard block size Okay. Yeah, so that's that's one of the interesting things about it. But the way I see it is that that's, again, a vote that they'd have to do and probably a for, or soft fork that they'd have to do. So I don't see that happening too often. Uh, one thing I think we talked about is how this helps the, from the user's perspective, it helps uh, the predictability and the, all of the other things. Uh, one of the things that, from the miner's perspective, if you look at it, what can the miners do? So if uh, one of the big arguments or one of the big thoughts that people have is that, okay, this is anti-miner or the miners would be against this, right? And uh, in the short term, sure, the, that probably is uh, something. But I think uh, when you look at it from a game theoretic perspective or from the long term, uh, I think miners will embrace this or not, will not embrace, at least accept it. And uh, the reason is basically they are actually already incentivized or in, uh, to kind of work with the Ethereum ecosystem, right? So they've already got their mining gear and they've got all of this activity happening, right? 
So what are the options available to miners to kind of block this, right? Right. And also, like, unlike the Bitcoin network, you know, where uh, it's so deflationary that at a certain point, it doesn't, you know, you don't get any revenue out of mining rather than you you depend entirely on the transaction fee. In this case, Ethereum is inflationary, right? Like it has a 5% inflation, annual inflation built in. So the miners are still getting the block rewards for mining the blocks, right? Like that, that's not good. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, miners still have block rewards, and they still have uncle rewards, and they still have the tip right so uh, it's not like it's zero cost for them uh, i mean like they're losing all their money it's it's just that this, this particular base fee thing is lost to them and and to be clear if uh, you you've got a very congested network uh, and uh, you know the transactions are uh, you your block sizes have reached the 2x limit then basically miners can use the tip and go back it falls back into a first price uh, like the old way, uh, the first price uh, auction, right? So you can, if, if if there are cases, if you have a very congested network where it, uh, where the miners basically might earn fees at that point in time. But let's look at it if they, uh, if they want to attack the Ethereum network, right? So one thing is what they can do is they say, okay, fine, we won't accept the London folk. Uh, they, we will maintain the old chain without EIP-1559, right? Um, this is inherently a problem because of something known as the difficulty bomb, right? So right. Uh, one of the things that uh, Ethereum has had for a long time is this uh, idea of randomly in- increasing, well, pseudo-randomly, uh, increasing the uh, difficulty level of mining, the proof-of-work algorithm, right? So uh, the... Uh, so originally the idea was that okay ethereum would kind of move from a proof of work into a proof of a stake kind of a chain and uh, obviously when they make that move miners would would need some kind of incentive right why why would they move to another kind of paradigm in terms of consensus and potentially kind of lose most of what whatever they're making because all their investments have been in this proof of work stuff the disincentive was essentially that they included this difficulty bomb that kind of increases the mining difficulty over time so that it becomes infeasible or very, very expensive to kind of mine on Ethereum 1 uh, and therefore everybody is incentivized to move to Ethereum 2, right? So right. This, this is basically what would happen in the old chain without EIP-1559. When we do the fork with EIP-1559, there is one other thing that they've done is they've basically delayed this difficulty bomb. They've not eliminated it, but they've kind of delayed it so that it, we can continue to function longer without it becoming un- infeasible, right? That is one scenario. Second scenario basically would be to fork Ethereum and create their own alt kind, like how ETC fork Ethereum create their own fork. But in this case, there is an opportunity cost, right? So essentially, in creating this new fork, they are starting from zero again. It's a new coin. They have to hope that all the users come in, right? And they need to create value for the user. Uh, There needs to be... So obviously, you need to have good block subsidy and uh, congestion fees and all of that. And building that traction is quite complex. Uh, Then uh, the other thing about it that is not immediately clear is that 
a lot of the DeFi applications, when you get forked, they are not going to work, right? Because if you look at it, say things like decentralized exchanges or collateral-backed stablecoins, right? So things like Tether. Obviously, forking it, you're not going to duplicate the dollars. So <laughs> the Tether will basically will say that, okay, fine, I'm staying with the old original coin, uh, the, whichever is the majority fork. And um, if that majority fork doesn't happen to be the altcoin, then those contracts are not going to be valid because nobody is going to, there's not, it's not going to have any backing. And anything that builds on top of that, so all the DeFi applications that uses the, those, those contracts will also become invalid, right? So that kind of likely creates this huge mess. So that's the second option that they had, and that's not going to work. The third one is basically to create an altcoin with a fresh state. So basically set everything to zero and start again. And again, that kind of leads to what is the uh, advantage of doing that, right? So uh, uh, you have essentially the old version of Ethereum run by miners with none of the accumulated intellectual property or the accumulated inventions and stuff, the things that make Ethereum valuable, right? So that is also not a very palatable scenario in my opinion, right? The third thing what you can do is, uh, and this is interesting, is that the miners can collude. So they accept the EIP-1559, quote-unquote accept, or they go continue with the new the fork and they have 1559, but they collude with each other and say, hey, okay, we will never allow the base fee to go beyond zero, right? So since you're starting out with zero, if your target gas, if your uh, block size is basically X, low 12.5 million, uh, uh, we will never create a block above that. And in a ideal world, if you can have perfect collusion, that makes sense. But that's not a very easy thing to do when you have essentially miners that are uh, self-interested, right? So if you do that and they say, okay, you get maybe, I don't know, 70% of the miners working with you, right? And they all agree. The 30% that don't agree can create larger blocks and make more money based on the tips. They will basically have made more money kind of like, uh, it's almost like, okay, fine, they're they are kind of making an unfair advantage, right? So as soon as one person does that, everybody else is going to go back to competition, right? So in practice, while it's possible in theory that you could have a collusion like that, in practice, it's not something that people will do, right? That's why this coalition idea would be quite unstable. This collusion idea would be an unstable thing. So that actually brings me to another interesting point about the MEV or the minor extracted value, and it's also called like maximum extracted value. And uh, everyone's talking about it from the miners' perspective because to counteract, you know, the the loss of revenue that the miners are probably going to have with uh, the implementation of one five five nine, they are using uh, several software strategies, you know, to sequence big value transactions in the blocks with their own transactions with high gas fees for the purpose of front running. So this is one of the things that is being looked at as a way and uh, yeah, to, to basically and counter that, right? So right. Uh, right. No, and, and so so let's let's look into uh, maximum extracted value MEV uh, closely. So this is actually something that exists in the current network already, right? So in the current network, you already have 
mining pools. You already have miners who can see all the transactions that are coming up and see what whether they can do front running or they can do any kind of arbitrage. That's already there, right? So in the new system with the base fee and all the other stuff, that still does not go away. In actuality, in addition, addition to the uh, block reward and the tip, in the new system, they still have MEV. And that's not going to go away. The MEV basically right now is in the form of arbitrage or front-running opportunities. So essentially what that is, is that miners essentially have insight into every transaction that comes in. So they know, okay, if you're doing a particular transaction, you're trying to buy a certain amount of coin and at a particular price, they can they have the visibility to know that you're going to do that and they can probably put a transaction ahead of yours to try and see if they can bump up the price, right? So this already happens and uh, this will continue to happen. And uh, so, so this EIP-1559 will not stop that. But what it will do is it will kind of discourage or reduce the amount of money that can be earned. So one thing is that right now, during this thing, since miners have control of uh, the transactions, they can create essentially a zero-fee transaction and add it to the block, right? So in addition to front-running you, they can also make it so that they are front-running you and earning at a zero-fee. So they're make, making more profit. Uh, but with the base fee mechanism, they will be forced to burn that minimum base fee. They can keep the tip as zero, but they still have that base fee that they have to burn, right? So it's not like there's going to be that much additional value, right? So depending on what is the arbitrage opportunity or what is the front-running opportunity, that can reduce, but it doesn't get eliminated entirely. They can still do it. It's just that they won't get that much out of it. Now, having said that, the flip side of flip way of looking at it is if they do embrace this, right? And if uh, because of this, uh, the capability or the this uh, the volume of transaction transactions that happen on the Ethereum network goes up, right? They can still make significant amounts of money with MEV because it may not be a large amount, but you might have a large volume, right? You might have instead of where originally there were three transactions, you might have ten transactions now. And so you have you have arbitrage opportunity instead of all ten of them, right? So that might be possibly something that is good for them. But yeah, so it's not like a thing where they will not get any MEV anymore. That's not going to happen. But uh, it's the bypassing of Ethereum or the bypassing of the fees that will be eliminated. So just to recap this a little bit. Obviously, the implementation of uh, EIP-1559, it means different things to different people in the Ethereum community, right? So for the user's perspective, from the user's perspective, fees becomes more predictable and no more underpaying or overpaying to, to a certain degree. Miners, you know, they are probably the ones who lose out a little bit in this model uh, because the base fee is getting burnt. Uh, and But still, you know, they're, they're, they're getting the tip and the, the block reward for mining the blocks. The developers, you know, they, they would update the dApps and wallets based on this new model. Uh, just to touch a little bit on the economics uh, of the network and how that's going to change a little bit uh, with this new implementation. So as we mentioned earlier, there is an annual inflation rate of 5% that is built in Ethereum right now. Uh, 
And with this change coming in, uh, where, the b- where the base fee actually gets burnt, uh, there are two scenarios that we look at for the future, right? So uh, if the network usage of Ethereum is high, like Nikhil mentioned earlier, the blocks are full, uh, the base fee goes up and more ETH is burnt. So uh, the net outcome in this case is deflationary. Whereas uh, in scenario two, if the network is underutilized, the base fee will be lower, a lesser amount of ETH will be burnt and the net outcome will continue to be inflationary. So uh, once again, this show is for educational purposes. This is not investment advice. But uh, when we look at the practical scenario of how this will play out, it's more likely that uh, Ethereum network will likely have a high network usage uh, going into the future, right? So the net outcome will be that uh, Ethereum will be deflationary. So Nikhil, how do you see this playing out? Uh, And I guess one more thing that I believe we forgot to mention is the concept of uh, economic abstraction. So currently in the blockchain, you you don't need a native token to pay for your uh, transaction fee, right? So for example, in the Ethereum network, you can pay using maybe a BAT token or another ERC20 token, right? But with this implementation of EIP1559, you can only uh, use uh, Ethereum as the, the native token to pay the gas fee, right? So that also, I guess, plays a little bit of a role in the value of Ethereum as, as a coin, right? Like going going forward from the network's perspective. So could you touch a little bit on these aspects? Yeah, so KK, some good points you raised over there. With regard to the inflation, deflation stuff, one thing we need to keep in mind also is that, you know, that is based on the status quo, right? It can change because one of the things about Ethereum is that it can hard fork again, right? So you can basically have something where, you know, you increase the block reward or increase the uh, inflation if the network congestion becomes that problematic that the deflation is that high, right? So one, one thing you don't want to do is uh, at least from my personal perspective, Ethereum is a utility token. And uh, obviously, as a utility token, uh, its primary value is as fuel for the network. So doing this where uh, it becomes extremely deflationary is counterproductive because then that kind of encourages hoarding, right? So you just have to look at what Bitcoin is going through, right? Now, that the whole thing about I buy Bitcoin and I hold it. Uh, I don't use it. So the deflationary uh, idea, while it is important and uh, it is good that we don't uh, do it, I anticipate that that would not be the major problem or the major theme that the Ethereum Foundation and the Ethereum team basically tries to peddle. But then, you know, it's just my opinion. Um, The other thing I think uh, the, regarding the whole thing essentially is that uh, see while this uh, is a good thing and there are a couple of things we need to think about one is that a it's a hard fork so everybody in the network needs to kind of upgrade to that particular fork all the software and all the clients need to be updated which is a non-zero effort uh, and b since this is affecting how we are doing transaction executions this actually affects most of, or I'm not sure how much of a percentage of, but at least a majority of the smart contracts, which basically deal with transactions, right? So they would probably have to examine their code to make sure that it holds up with the new, new model, the appropriate fee and the tip and cal- all those calculations are done. Admittedly, it would be smoother and easier, but 
definitely that's that's a different calculation right that's something that will need to be changed in the program so uh, that's one other aspect so there is a non zero amount of development work and uh, uh, you know development deployment and validation and testing and all of that uh, so that's also there as a risk and uh, the third thing is that you see ultimately at least in my mind the ethereum one chain essentially is going to be a part of or one of the shards of the ethereum 2 right so we have this plan to move to ethereum 2 and proof of stake right and the long term idea is that you know we have the ice age and the whole thing goes to zero so in the end the idea of inflation deflation might become moot because what is the mechanics of or what is the calculus of proof of stake uh, would be very different from how it would be for proof of work right so maybe in the short term there is some deflation but i'm not too i don't i don't see that as becoming too much of a problem because i don't see that as being something that needs to be dealt with long term it's not going to be a fundamental part like bitcoin uh, where essentially it is a deflationary uh, thing and i think that's a good thing because at the end of the day ethereum as a coin and ethereum as a network is far more valuable as a enabler of other ideas and other ip and defi and all of those other constructs than as kind of like a pure uh, store of value right so that's that's basically my think on that as far as the london folk where this is going to be included is concerned uh, so they've uh, got got the green light it's, it is definitely going to be there and uh, along with it there's also going to be the changes to make delay the difficulty bomb and yeah uh, i think it's a good thing overall it at least helps stabilize the network better and uh, uh, provides some, some more life into ethereum 1 while ethereum 2 basically uh, spins up and becomes stable and becomes capable of taking over things all right folks that concludes our podcast We hope that you enjoyed this episode on EIP one five five nine. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and also you can learn more about us on bcdialogues dot com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.